Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brain Mosh Podcast. My name is Dryden. I'm Brett. And today we have a really cool episode, and we have a guest with us on the show who I would like to introduce himself now. Hi, uh, I am Ben. Do you want my last name, too? It's up to you. Oh, yeah. I'll stay slightly anonymous. All right, cool. <laughs> ben, tell, tell us about yourself. Why, why have we asked you to be on the show today? Uh... Well, one reason is uh, you're my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, Ben is my brother-in-law. That's, that's a fun fact. That's one reason. Uh, actually, other- actually, wait. Sorry to cut you off there, Ben. That's right. In the last episode, we talked about the first time we ever went to a heavy like underground show. And I said that my first ever underground show I went to because it was my brother-in-law's band that was playing. And this is that brother-in-law. So our dedicated listeners will feel like they're being introduced to royalty right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm being well, introduced I, to royalty. Wow, I uh, I would not consider also, myself also, close. Also, sorry, but. sorry, I've now interrupted Ben once or and now twice. But um, just while we're talking about our listeners, I just want to say I was checking our analytics online today, and we have at least one listener in Ireland. And so, if you are that listener. We just want to thank you from the bottoms of our heart for supporting us from all the way in Ireland. I have no idea how you heard about us, how you found us, why you're even listening to us, but whoever you are, you're a champ and we love you. Please keep it up. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was my last interruption, I promise. Now, Ben, please go ahead. So the the other reason I can kind of think of is that I have been in bands before in multiple scenes over different years at different times and stuff, I guess. Uh, yeah. So Ben, tell us, <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about that. What, what have the bands been like that you've played in and what, what roles have you had? So the, the first band I was in, I was 16 Ooh. and, uh, he was an angsty young lad. Yeah. And so I grew up in small town, Manitoba, and we actually had a little bit of a thriving, little scene there at the time and it was like the late mid to late 2000s um if you've ever heard of a band called means uh they were very uh prominent in our in our area there and so we all looked up up to them and we started a band uh, a few friends of mine from like high school so that band was called the emendation and we were i would probably describe us nowadays as like metalcore but like we I, I needed a role in the band, so we became a keyboard metalcore band because I could play keyboard. And there were already uh, there already were other guitarists who were better at guitar than I was. Um, so yeah, I, so did, I did that. I didn't know that that you played keyboard. I just assumed you played yeah. guitar in that band. Was it? No, I did keyboard. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, is it like keyboard or was it like the synth, like attack, attack kind of thing? It was, yeah, it was more like synth, sometimes piano, like it depended on the song. Okay, no, that's cool, Um, I dig it. I would have said that you could have seen it, or not seen it, heard it on MySpace, but I heard recently that MySpace kind of had a little bit of a fallout of some of their data and stuff. So anyway, I think I have some of the songs still somewhere on a computer somewhere, but... Emo emo kids everywhere (laughs) weep over the loss of their glory days on MySpace. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so that that band lasted for just two years. It was pretty short lived, but I did that, and then I did. I took over vocals when our vocalist left. Um, about halfway through the band, after about a year, he left to go be in another band called The Fortunate. Um, 
and so we so I so I took over lead vocals at that time. Uh, then I was in a band shortly after that where I played guitar. I was not very good at guitar at the time, and it was really funny. We tried to be a hardcore band, but I didn't really fully listen to hardcore yet. So you can imagine a, a metalcore kid getting told by one of his friends to play hardcore, but not really understanding how to do it. Um, so that band... I, I believe that friend's name was Jesse Kowalski. Yeah. And, and Jesse Kowalski, if you're listening, shout out to you, man. So, yeah. So that was that was shortly thereafter. That band was called X Goonies X. Um, that was the f- first band I like toured with. Uh, and then... A few years later, we had, a again, Jesse and I and a couple other guys from our hometown, from shout out to Dauphin, Manitoba. Um, we had another band called Short Fuse. That was very short-lived. Um, <laughs> the irony. <laughs> the ap- the aptly named Short yeah. Fuse. Uh, so that was right around like 2010, I think, maybe 2011. Uh, then I took a few years off. I was finishing up some school, moved out to Edmonton. Um, and then I think in 2013 is when my most recent band formed. That was, uh, Times Tide and I played guitar in that band. So most bands I played guitar in, oh, I I forgot to say in Short Fuse, I was vocals again. So I've either, I've either done vocals or guitar, uh, or keyboard. So kind of a, a few different things. Right on. And, uh, we might as well throw this in here just because we've got one of their former members uh, on with us. Um, Times Tide was actually a sick band. Um, they played very melodic hardcore. That would be a good way to explain it, hey? Yeah, like, yeah, West Coast influence for sure. Like, yeah, we basically tried to rip off Go It Alone. Oh, Go and, It Alone, sick band. And, uh, yeah, as much as possible. That That was like... If if we could try and play Go It Alone, that's what we tried to do. And then a, maybe a little bit of Have Heart influence, but yeah. I didn't yeah. play that melodic as well. So most of our stuff sat kind of in between there, but yeah. So uh, Times Tide, actually, one of their, their most recent EP that they released before they disbanded is available on Apple Music and Spotify, I believe. And is that correct? Oh. Uh, oh no go ahead no i was gonna say yeah it's definitely on apple music and i would highly recommend checking it out because i know it was uh last like probably four or five months ago you recommended uh time side to me to check it out and i'm like yeah sure why not and i kind of listened to it and i listened to it home uh for my bus ride from university and it, it grew on me and then it's honestly one of it's, the albums. It's, it's like a tumor. It grows. <laughs> it absolutely does. And I honestly, I listen to that album probably almost once a day, every day, to be honest. Like it really, it's, wow. well, I, I didn't realize you were that into it. Yeah. I honestly, I love, I love that album. Like it's, I, it's something I, else. I honestly, I honestly really love it too. And not just saying that because it's, because I, you know, it's, it's, would that be nepotism? If it's my brother-in-law's band? Probably. <laughs> Not just not just saying that out of nepotism. I actually thoroughly enjoyed that album. Um, I could be a super, I could be like a super hardcore kid and say, "Oh no, their first EP was their best EP." But I'm not going to go there. But it, um, it's it's still just something else, and it makes me regret not kind of being in the hardcore scene because it that would have been like 
hearing Times Tide live, I think, would have been just <laughs> unreal. And I don't know, I, it would have been I, a fun experience. I can confirm as someone who is at pretty much every Times Tide Edmonton <laughs> show yeah. ever that uh, it, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, I saw you guys live probably four or five times, hey? Yeah, pro- yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it, yeah we, had a, we had a good run. It was fun. We- they opened for Comeback Kid once. That's that was wild. cool. Dang. No, they opened, you guys opened for Crow Mags. Yes. Right? That Comeback Kid also played that show too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So they played, they opened for Comeback Kid twice. Yeah. And then was it a separate show that you opened for Crow Mags? No, Comeback Kid and Crow Mags oh, were on okay. the same bill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so yeah, if if anyone out there knows their hardcore history, you know, Crow Mags was a pretty big deal back in the eighties and nineties. So uh yeah, I was I was pretty stoked on that when a when my sister married a guy who had that experience under his belt. Um <laughs> I wanted to have a mosh pit at the wedding, but that that idea was the eschewed. dream. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> um Okay, question for you, Ben. Do you have a favorite song from Tide, uh, Times Tide or just a favorite song to play live or anything like that? Oh, um, so not necessarily to play live, but my favorite song, I think, that we've recorded, uh, like probably two two of the ones from the new album, I would put probably 1A and 1B. I would say uh, Numbered, Numbered, Way Divided, like the last song on the album, yeah. I think was my favorite song that I think I've ever recorded period, not only just for like, it took us a long time to write that song. That's the song we probably took the longest and the most careful, like writing process with. And then also just kind of culminating into it in all into a recording so well, I like to this day, I like thank Liam uh, in Calgary for recording that song for us. Cause I'm just like, man, you did such a good job. And I just, uh, <laughs> I'm just so grateful that it turned out that way. And I, and I had the idea for that ending where it's like a slow acoustic kind of fade out thing yeah. for a while, like pretty much as soon as that song was written. And so just kind of the way the songwriting all came together, I was really, really happy with that one. So that's probably my favorite to listen to. And even to this day, like it, it m- might seem really cheesy or, or stupid being the one who actually recorded the guitar parts on it and yeah. <laughs> wrote the song, but it still kind of gives me some chills sometimes listening to it. And, and I'm just, it's one of the things as a musician is you're always super critical of everything that you do. Oh, absolutely. And I, I am, I am especially critical of myself. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, if, if any of my long, long standing friends, you know, I, he's his toughest critic, you know, uh, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I love how my guitar sounds on it. I love the solo part in it. I love the, the clean, cleaner tone at the very beginning. Yeah. It, it just, it kind of all came together. So that's probably my, my favorite song. And then shields was really awesome. Um, shields is a banger. To, I'll, I'll back that one. Cause up. that one was like really agree. melodic. And when, and when we wrote it, it was like kind of out there given what we had written previously. And yeah. it was kind of a beginning of a new, a little bit of a new direction. And I thought it was a good musical progression from our first EP. Like you don't want to ever release the same album, which is, well, I mean, in hardcore people would like you to, but, <laughs> yeah. but we, we didn't, we didn't want to. And 
Um, so that was kind of a good new kind of, I guess, line in the sand to say, no, we're going to do, do something a little different. And I think that one's more meaningful for, um, for me in that, in that, uh, our lead vocalist Colton, some of the, some of the lyrics in that one are especially personal to him and really, 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 really deep for him. And so, um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's, it's always kind of special too, when you can see other bandmates really like kind of pour themselves into a song in that way. So I really, I always like playing Shields live because, because I know that that's probably Colton's favorite song. Yeah. Um, and just seeing him kind of be super passionate is, is pretty awesome. So, so yeah, probably, probably those two are, are my two favorites that ever kind of got recorded and released and everything. And, uh, cool. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, before we move on, uh, that EP is called, or no, I guess it's a full album. What am I saying? That album is called God I'm Alone Here by Times Tide, and it is available on Spotify and Apple Music. And everyone who's down for some good old fashioned melodic hardcore would definitely, it would definitely be worthwhile to check it out. Absolutely. Um, now I do, Ben, you said earlier that you started off as a metalcore kid, not as a hardcore kid. No, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, on this, on this podcast, Bretto and I definitely lean more towards metalcore in the heavy music that we discuss. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that we've talked about, um, that I was thinking it'd be cool to get your opinion on, um, coming at the metalcore scene and at the hardcore scene as a Christian, uh, why is it that you think, um, that Christian bands in the metalcore scene specifically tend to be like more well received than like like Brett, do you agree with what I'm saying? Like yeah, no, I absolutely like I feel agree. like like if you're just like a straight up death metal band and you're a Christian band, I feel like the death metal scene is going to be much harder on you than the metalcore scene is to a Christian band. You know, um, and like off the top of my head if you asked me to name like who are the most like who are the most popular metalcore bands of the last 10 years a lot of the ones that i'm going to name are christians and that's not just because of my own bias but like um obviously we talk all the time about silent planet uh, there's being well i guess being as notion isn't metalcore but uh same diff but then you look um, at bands like phineas or o sleeper or yeah. uh, under oath a lot of those bands where they were they never considered themselves Christian, but they like wrote about Christian themes or some band members mm-hmm. are Christian. I think that was a huge influence as well. Um, yeah, sorry, I'll just and, continue. And one of, the, yeah, yeah, no worries. And uh, and one of the reasons why um, I thought it'd be interesting to have Ben on the show is because Ben, uh, I'm not saying that Ben is an old man, but I, <laughs> but I am saying that Ben is from the previous generation of metalcore. And the bands that Ben that got Ben into metalcore are not at all the same bands that got us into metalcore. So um, Ben, like, can you comment on like what were the like what were the Christian metalcore bands of your day, and why did they stand out to you, and why do you think Christian bands tend to be like widely accepted in metalcore as opposed to other genres? Well, those, those are a lot of questions. Well, just, uh, just I'm, talk. I'm gonna, you're, you're a smart guy. Just ramble on for. Well, a while. it all starts when <laughs> no, um, but uh, I, I think I started. I think I went to my first show in like I want to say 2002. Oh, geez. 2003. Um, so yeah, I 
I am a little older, but honestly, the first shows I went to were more local and there were a lot of local bands playing that were kind of cool. And then some friends of mine and I, um, kind of, honestly, we just kind of accidentally found, you know, punk bands that were Christian, like, like, you know, from tooth and nail records, yeah, right? like MXPX and Slick Shoes and Sidewalk Slam, and then we and then we uh, and then we kind of took it to the next level when when Tooth and Nail came out with a like a sister label uh, called Solid State Records. Oh, shout out to Solid State Records! And they, <laughs> and they started putting out you know heavier bands, and I remember you know around two thousand three, two thousand four, like witnessing screaming music for the first time and just being like. I don't know, drawn to it, I guess. Kind of like, whoa, that's cool, you know, I don't know. I and and I thought it was cool that it pushed the envelope. So the bands that I remember that were really like really prominent on Solid State back in the middle 2000s there, um, you know, of course, Underoath, uh Norma Jean, yeah. The Chariot. Um, those were all bands that I grew up listening to. Uh Honestly, even bands that now are a little softer, but like then were a little bit more extreme, like Me Without You, yeah, uh, Emery, um, Thrice. I actually, I honestly didn't listen to Thrice until about oh. 2010. Okay. So ben is, some, not a, ben is not a real Thrice fan. No, I am not. To make that I public am, knowledge. Honestly, Ben, I've, I feel you though. I've never got into Thrice. <laughs> I well, I love Thrice now, but I didn't discover Thrice until Beggars when Beggars came out in yeah. two thousand nine. So, whatever. And if that makes me a poser, I don't really care because <laughs> I love them and I have all of their albums from way back when. Now, so, anyways, um, I know a lot of my friends loved Artist in the Ambulance, and I love that album now. But I just, I don't know, I didn't listen to it then, and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, you can't expect a sixteen-year-old to make every perfect decision ever. So, uh, <laughs> in the days of MySpace. So, anyway, but bands like that, and then I remember um, As Cities Burn came out right around then too, and yeah. that's still to this day one of my favorite bands, um, if not my favorite of all time. And so, yeah, like growing up with that, that, that was like they those all of those bands were coming out with new music, you know. Solid State was really good about kind of staggering their releases. So pretty much every couple months, three months, you were going to have a new record that was a band that you loved. And they kept signing new bands and like, you know, bands like even like Haste the Day I listened to. Like, yeah, so all of those bands were pretty prominent. Um, and, you know, our it was easy enough for our our parents to go like, Hey, yeah, that's okay for you to listen to that. Cause like, Hey, they said God or Jesus once. So, <laughs> you know, um, and then, and then honestly, like the first big show I went to was under oath in 2006. I Wild. saw them in, in Winnipeg. So, uh, and I think they opened for Silverstein. I want to, s- or no, they, no, they weren't opening. They were headlining and Silverstein was playing and, I can't remember who else. I think I have the ticket somewhere still. But like that started then for the next four years uh, or five years or so while I was still in Manitoba where we would like drive to Winnipeg 
to see some of the bigger shows, you know, saw bands like Norma Jean, August Burns Red, um, plenty of times at Winnipeg. Uh, and then would also see local shows and then would also see shows in like Regina where we would watch some more like hardcore bands and stuff. And so it kind of started just some of my friends and I started listening to hardcore a little bit more and kind of got connected in that way, probably in about 2008 or nine. So Yeah. All right. So there's a brief history of Christian metalcore brought to you by Ben McKenzie. <laughs> um, ben, we, I don't, I don't want to spend too much more time talking about uh, music. Hold on, hold on. Before that's, that's not true. Before we, well, well, no. Just wait. I'm not transitioning yet. I'm not transitioning okay. yet. Okay. I, I was just, I was just setting up. So there's one. There's a couple essential questions that I got to ask you. Uh, that we like to talk about on the show before we move on from mu- from the music part of the episode. Um, so, Ben, who have you been jamming to recently? Uh, so recently, I've really loved listening to a band called Hammock. They are an instrumental band out of Nashville, and they have been around for years, but I have recently kind of discovered some of their stuff and I really really enjoy it it's very ambient Uh, some of it is synth based and choir based some of it is guitar based they are really good at making like soundtrack music that kind of stuff and I am really digging that Um, so really into hammock great music I'm a teacher so it's really good for me to mark Mm. and listen to that <laughs> and uh and then i guess i still listen to cds in my car that's how old i am um <laughs> I, I can confirm that he still has like he still has like the case in his car with like all the Dude, cd sleeves that you flip through you know i i i even listened i popped in i kid you not a cdr you know like <laughs> of some music that i burned probably you know in 2007 or something um so i was listening to and this is this is going to be a throwback if anybody from like you know, the old days, you know, my old friends, uh, I was listening to a band called born for battle. Uh, I'm not familiar. They are from Kelowna originally. Uh, this album was released, I think in 2007, it's called bruised, but not broken, man. (laughs) They, and they are on the board. They were, and, and that's kind of, it's interesting because that album is like one of the borderlines between metalcore and hardcore. You can hear hardcore influences in it, but it's still very much a metalcore album. And that is kind of the time and the music that started my transition away from metalcore and into the hardcore scene, you could say. Interesting. Also as cities burn, come now sleep. Okay, cool. So, uh, what was the other question? Oh yeah, this is another question that we we asked our last guest, so we got to ask you too. If you could go back in time and see any show that has ever happened in the history of the world, anywhere in the world, where would you go? Okay, so I have had the great privilege of actually seeing a lot of awesome concerts, and so there are two that came to mind when you kind of said, we might ask you this question. Um, I saw, and I'll, I'll, I'll have an honorary mention. So I'll, I'll do the honorary mention first. 
I did get to see the Chariot live Oof. twice. I got Whoa. to see the Chariot live once at Cornerstone Peanut Festival. Peanut butter and jelly. Oh, man. Cornerstone Festival in 2009. And they legitimately lit the drums on fire on stage <laughs> and climbed the tent pole. Like, that show was insane. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. I also saw the Chariot in Montreal. And that was really cool because they all actually played on the floor in front of the stage. And I got to like basically scream and spit in in uh, Josh's face uh, multiple times. That was amazing. That's that's uh, that's where the scene lives. Right? So, <laughs> the so moment when you are spitting into the vocalist's face. Those those are my those are my honorary mentions. Was the chariot? I would love to go back to a show that I saw. I saw. Okay, the band Means is forever in my heart. And they were amazing. And they were like local guys that kind of grew up. They were like a generation before us. And they kind of grew up and got moderately big, signed to to Face Down Records even for a little bit. Dang. And yeah, I put out a couple albums for them. And uh, so their last show, which was November t- 2008 in Regina, that show was pretty amazing. And I would love to go back and replay that show. All mm. the bands that that opened up for them too were very solid. Life in Hand, Horizons, that was a sick show. Uh, one that I was not at that I would really like to see was As Cities Burn uh, in, I think it was Cornerstone 2008. It was either 2008 or 2007. There's a clip of uh, Cody Bennett playing Widow by himself on youtube that's all i remember from it and it's like just so raw emotionally i've i've only seen as cities burn live once and that was when they did a reunion tour here like last month and they played two old three old songs and that was sad they didn't really play too many songs Mm. so that's the only band i really wish i could have seen live in their prime that's how i felt the time that we saw counterparts live and they didn't play burn and i was chapped (laughs) not that burn is like an old counterpart song but it's my favorite counterpart song anyway i'm just uh, envious that you saw the chariot live i know because i keep thinking about that because all i think of is when i was at the devil wars parada show the roots above branches below um 10th anniversary tour and then the 68 was opening live and just seeing josh goggins one amazing but you can see he had that chariot blood just coursing through him and he just wanted to go crazy but it's it's just more contained now and just seeing the chariot in their heyday would have been unreal yeah, and I don't know how that dude does it. I mean, I'm not even 30 yet, but I have definitely lost some steam. Yeah, like that dude, dude's got to be almost. I don't, lost you know, steam. I haven't Wikipedia'd him recently, but he's got to be almost 40. And I don't know how he has the energy that he does. But props to him. If you haven't seen them play their live show in Australia, where they're playing in the house, and then like. Just Google that. Like, search that up on YouTube because they play like in a house, and then they're like playing on the roof. It's, it, I don't, know, it's wild. Wasn't there? That's an, that's in that video. Weren't they playing at a venue and like someone stole like a mango or something? So he, the the dude like shut off all yes. the electricity, and yeah, and they moved to the dude's house. Yeah, no, it's wild. Yes, yes, like that's and that's that's exactly what watching it live is kind of like. It's yeah. just wild, but. Yeah, I mean, I'll always remember, like, and it was awesome to see them at a festival. 
a festival is not always the best place to see a band because there's way too many people. It's not intimate. Um, it's just really kind of chaotic and crazy, but then they also get to do some crazy things like climb tent poles and light drums on fire. Yeah. Um, you know, they can't really do that on tour every night. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you'd run, you'd run out of drums. (laughs) Be pretty expensive. Uh, but seeing them in Montreal was really cool too, because that was like, you know, me and 10 other people really knew what was up and I got to scream in, in Josh's face. Like, you know, if there's blood on the roots and there's blood on the branches, like with him and like, oh, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's, <laughs> that's so, so cool. <laughs> um, so, okay. I, I, I feel, I hate to cut a short here and I feel like we're going to, ha- I feel like we could do at least 10 episodes with Ben and just keep picking his brain. But <laughs> This is the Brain Mosh podcast. Hold on, hold on. And, Before we jump into anything, Dryden, uh, quickly, uh, what have you been listening to? Okay. Just. Oh, what have I been listening to? Rattle it off. Okay. Lately, I have been, I have found a sweet spot between hip hop and metal. And <laughs> I. <laughs> and I have been dwelling in that sweet spot pretty hard for the last like two weeks. So, first bands that come to mind are Ocean Grove, who I saw live. I think they opened for North Lane. I remember moshing to them with Owen. I wish Owen was on because I could ask him. Um, so yeah, shout out to Ocean Grove because they're like a new metal group, but they and they're like super funky and groovy. <laughs> and like I'm all about metal that you can like groove to, and they're very groovy and kind of hip hoppy. So shout out to them. Uh, I've been listening to a band called The One Hundred. They are more of a, like, straight-up rap metal group from the UK. Um, And then, uh, this is not going to be anything new to any of our listeners. At least I hope not. But I've gotten really obsessed with Rage Against the Machine over the last (laughs) couple weeks. I'm shocked that it's taken... I'm honestly shocked that it's taken me 22 years of life to, like, to realize how much I love Rage Against the Machine. But, like, they are Marxist... And they're angry, <laughs> and they're funky, and they're hip hoppy, and they're hardcore punky, and they're heavy metal e. So I mean, really, they're everything that I love wrapped up in one very angry and very catchy package. And I've been jamming to them pretty hard. That's, That's fantastic. What I've been to recently. Love it. How about how about you, Bretto? Um, what have you been jamming to? My go-to. I've been listening to a lot of. Well, first off, the new Knock Loose song. Um, oh yeah, mistakes yeah, yeah. like fractures. Check it out. It's I think it's fantastic. Um, been listening to a ton of Year of the Knife, um, just because they go hard. But I most oh, they were they were in Vancouver not too long ago. I'm pretty sure were they actually? Dang, I should have flew I think out. So. Yeah, should have flown out, bro. I need to. Yeah, I want to go see them just because uh, um, Ultimate Disease and uh, Fatal, or I think that's what those songs are called. They're they just they go hard. I don't know. Yeah. It would be they would be one of the bands where I'd be scared to almost jump into the pit just because of how yeah. hard they go. Um That was like me. That was like me. Um I saw integ I shouldn't say I saw integrity. But <laughs> there was an integrity show happening in my immediate vicinity. And about thirty seconds into the first song, I made the mistake of jumping into the pit and Oh Dryden. I know my. I'm not even making eye contact with Ben because right <laughs> I know how Ben. Uh, Ben's a very responsible man, and I f- can't ever admit to him that I've done something as irresponsible as what I'm telling him now. But 
I made the mistake of jumping into the pit for integrity and about 30 seconds into their first song, literally I'd been in the pit for maybe two seconds and I got the heel of someone's boot. Oh, it was that show. Yes. I got the heel of someone's boot and like, I'm like, I, I get it. Like I don't hold a grudge with like moshing injuries. Like it's all in good fun. And like, I'm sure I've hit people while I've been moshing too. So like, I'm not mad about this. It's just, you know, it's just my most recent moshing mishap, but I got the heel of someone's boot right in my lower stomach. Um, and I had a really nasty bruise and I was absolutely out of commission for the rest of the show. I stayed for like two more songs and I was in so much pain. I just then went and sat in my car for like a half hour <laughs> until I could like recompose myself and fully, fully breathe again. And then I just went home. But to be fair, that bruise was nasty. Like it was. The bruise was very nasty. Maybe, maybe I'll, should I post a picture of the bruise on our social media? I, I feel like that'd be inappropriate. It, it's a little, but, it's almost a little uh, not safe for work. So maybe not. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a little far south. But um, <laughs> that anyway. was that was something to wake up to. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, sorry, I, I cut you off. No, it, so it's the, all good. Moral of the story is don't mosh at an integrity show. Um, sorry, bro, go ahead. No, and the last band that I've been really getting into, I've been listening to a ton of Vane from Boston, mm. and oh, Ben Ben really likes Vane. that's a good thing. The self destruct EP, I think it's unreal. Progenitor, I. It, I probably listen to it a couple times in the morning when I'm getting ready for work or school, whatever. I, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just one of those songs that it's fun to sing along to, to listen to, to jam. You just kind of want to, you want to go crazy. It's, it's a song I wish I was, I could be in a pit for. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think Bane is, Vane nice. is a fun new one. Yes. Bane is good. Everyone on this episode endorses Bane. So, um, okay. Are we ready? It's about to get heavy. It's about to get heavy. <laughs> oh, puns. Okay. So this is the brain mosh podcast. And we've, at this point we've covered the mosh. We've t- been talking about heavy music for the last half hour. And now we're going to cover our brain topic. And it's completely different from anything we've talked about <laughs> so far. We are a, about to take a 180 degree turn and head back in the opposite direction. And we're about to admit the other reason why we had Ben on the episode. Ben is used for, for two reasons. One, because of his experience in metalcore and hardcore. Two, because this is a guy who, I kid you not, has studied math and physics for years at the, uni- <laughs> at the university at the university <laughs> level. You make it sound like I've been slaving over it. Well, I, been did, sl- I did it for three years to get a degree. Okay, whatever. He's <laughs> still it's impressive. Of, on top of being a hardcore guitarist, he is also a mathematician and a physicist, and he d- teaches those subjects to junior high students. And he, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this because I know he's not going to take it personally. He's pretty geeky. He loves science and he loves math and he loves numbers and Thank anything. You like physics related or chemistry related. And so recently something pretty big has gone on that I'm sure everyone out there who's at all interested in anything scientific will have heard about. And I'm going to let Bretto introduce this topic because this is much more his domain than mine. So Bretto, take us, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
even if you watch like the news, anything, you probably should have seen it. But um, a bunch of scientists, there was an international effort to um, capture the first image of a black hole, um, and which they were successful in doing. And during a uh, panel, a conference, it was announced on April 10th, and along with the research paper, and they release the images. And so for the first time in human history, we have seen at least the shadow of a black hole, which is unreal. It's something almost unfathomable. And even though um, a lot of people who may not completely get it and maybe saw the picture and they're like, why is it so blurry? Why um, is the resolution so poor? It's probably one of the most difficult things that physicists and astronomers and computer scientists could have ever undertaken, mainly because they had to turn Earth into a giant, um, almost, I guess like a satellite. I don't know what's the proper word. Ben, do you know? Telescope. Telescope. Thank telescope. you. Thank you. Totally blanked. Um, yeah. Turning the earth into a giant telescope to be able to capture a picture of, um, M87, which is a massive black hole, uh, roughly, a 55, what, what is it? 55, um, 55, billion times the size of the sun or something like that. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've like actually looked at some of the actual facts about it. Um, but yeah, since uh, Ben has his, he has a physics and mathematics background, and I think we all love science and space, it would be a fun topic to discuss since it is massive news for at least the scientific world anyways. So Ben, I... My background is history and philosophy, so black holes could not possibly be further out of my scope of knowledge. So how would you, as someone who teaches science for a living, how would you explain what a black hole is to the layperson who doesn't know anything about black holes? Okay. Um, well, all I'm, at the risk of sounding really, really cheesy... Uh, I will compare it to music since we're on a music podcast. Um, this this guy thinks this guy thinks ahead. <laughs> I like it. I'm a teacher, so I got to make it relatable to the audience, right? <laughs> uh, so so basically, uh, most of existence is is not that heavy. Most of existence is pop music it, uh, until Ben gets on the guitar. That is. <laughs> <laughs> so so most of most of existence, most things in our universe are not very heavy. Uh, you know, it's kind of like what's on the top 40 radio, right? It's, it's very shallow stuff. Um, but if you can picture kind of the heaviest riff that you've ever heard in your life, the like picture, like the underground Norwegian black metal group who records on like a broken phonograph in the middle (laughs) of the Norwegian wilderness. Yeah. Well, sacrificing goats to Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I guess. Or, or, uh. <laughs> he can't, or maybe he can't a, think of a better example. Or maybe though. Shipwreck AD or Biohazard or something. I don't know. Um, and, uh, that's the equivalent of a black hole. So basically, a black hole is the result of a supermassive star. Um, much bigger than our sun, uh, collapsing 
in a supernova. So I'm sure most people have heard of supernovas, don't really quite understand what they are. But uh, so basically, I'll, I'll try and give a really quick synopsis. So our sun um, right now, what is keeping the sun's fuel kind of going is at the core of the sun, hydrogen, which is the lightest element, is being fused into helium, which is the second lightest element. So there's actually a fusion core reaction happening inside the sun. So if you've ever heard anything about fusion power or generating using fusion power, basically what we're trying to do is create a small version of the sun on our planet. And it's a very, it's like the most efficient uh, reaction to generate energy. So basically our sun, to compare it, make an analogy, it's like a constant fusion bomb going off and it brings us lots of heat and light and warmth, which is great because we need that. Um, so our sun is doing this. It has enough, uh, it, it's so massive and has enough hydrogen that it's going to be able to do this for billions of years. Uh, our sun is not very big uh, compared to many other stars in our galaxy or in other galaxies. So if we go to a star that's much bigger, um, eventually what will happen, this, this will happen in our sun too, just, just in a lot shorter of a time frame, but eventually all the hydrogen runs out and then it starts to fuse helium into lithium, which is the third lightest element. And so if you know anything about the periodic table, you kind of keep going down the periodic table by number up until I think it's like iron or something. Yeah, it's iron. 23rd, 23rd element. And what happens at iron is the energy that's needed to actually fuse uh, the metals together to make iron, the energy used is greater than the energy generated. And so that's when you finally start to have a star collapse. So there's this kind of the radiation outwards pressure from the reaction that's happening at the core of the sun. But then you have also the mass um, and the gravitational pull of all that mass, which is kind of the counter force. And those exist in balance for the lifetime of a star. But then what happens is, is, is um, once we get to the, the iron reaction, is that the, the gravitational pull essentially is stronger than the radiation reaction and then the star collapses. Now that collapse can be relatively on a cosmic scale fairly slow in the case of our sun. So basically our sun is going to kind of slowly kind of burn out um, and basically just get cool and dark. Uh, from my understanding anyways, I mean I'm not an astrophysicist but, excuse me, but that's, you know, as far as my understanding, but a much more massive star, that collapse is going to be much more violent. So uh, a supermassive star will collapse in on itself. So all of the mass of that entire star, and we're talking, you know, like it's, you know, millions of times bigger than our sun, you know, um, collapses and basically rebounds again once it collapses to create a supernova, uh, and then it collapses again, and all of that mass congregates in as little space as possible, and that creates a black hole. So black hole is incredibly, it's like the most dense thing in our universe, the most mass per volume. It has, um, yeah, just, just incredible density, incredible mass, 
and it has so much density, so much mass that it pulls anything into it. So uh, including including light uh, in that sense. Um, it's not really like a vacuum. It doesn't really like suck things up, but basically it's just, you know, the densest thing, the heaviest thing in the universe. The way, the way that I've like had this demonstrated to me is if you took like a bowling ball and you put it on a trampoline, Yeah. then everything else on the trampoline is going to get pulled down towards the bowling ball. Because of the weight of the bowling ball. Is that sort of an accurate way that's, to That's kind it? of the way that physicists would use to describe space-time and how extremely massive objects uh, can actually curve space-time, can mm. actually uh, cause uh, changes in movement or time or whatever around themselves because they're so massive, they're so big. And I mean the important thing to recognize here is that like we're talking and you can see any there's probably thousands of YouTube comparison videos as far as sizes of things in the universe. Um, we're talking about stars that are much, much, much bigger than our sun that that this has to happen uh, to create a black hole. So, yeah, so our sun is not going to become a black hole. But yeah, they're, they're and, and astronomers are still learning about them and obviously and, and, and trying to learn more about their characteristics and whatnot. It seems to be that most galaxies that are spiral or elliptical have that have some sort of rotation that are not just irregular galaxies. Most of those galaxies seem to have some sort of supermassive black hole at their center. Also, shout out to Muse because their song Supermassive Black Hole is a banger. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. That's okay. <laughs> so essentially, we have in our galaxy, in the Milky Way, there is, um, there is a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy too. You need not be afraid, though. It's very far away and uh, we, we are not going to get sucked into it or something anytime soon. But the issue is we couldn't take a picture of that because that black hole is actually way smaller than the one that they actually photographed. Oh, really? Yeah. So Sagittarius, oh, Sagittarius A asterisk, I don't know how they actually title it, but it's always got a little asterisk on it. So I'm just going to say that, is the one that's at the center of our galaxy. Um, but in M83 or M87, whichever one it was that this one was, it's actually a lot bigger. And so that's why they tried to do that one the, and so oh sorry go no ahead. i was going to say one important thing to point out if um if you do look at what um these scientists were doing uh they actually did take a look and they started to try um try get some kind of image of sagittarius a as well um but the main yeah. focus was on uh m87 yeah and from my understanding i mean it would be I mean, with astronomy, it's sometimes more challenging to take pictures of stuff that's in your own neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there's just so much stuff in the way or there's so many other things that could um, impede your resolution or whatever. So it's it's not an easy process. Like, um, basically, they collect, like, they have computers that collect all of this data and then they got to filter through it all and develop algorithms that help filter through all the data. Like, it's not... It's not as easy as a point-and-click digital camera or something if people think it's like that. It's just not like that. So, um, so you know, and we're, and we're also, you, you have to think about, we're taking pictures of things that are moving and we're moving. 
so that makes it a little bit harder too to get clear resolution of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the sky doesn't stay still for us ever. So, yeah, so there's there's a lot of challenges with with astronomical photography. So it's not just as simple as well take a you know point a telescope in that direction and then just take a picture. You know, close the shutter and there you go. And that's so, where one of the things I don't think people realize is they mainly develop the picture from um, microwaves, gamma rays, uh, x-rays, and that sort of data that they collected. So it's not just, like you said, pointing a camera. It's literally from different wavelengths of light. And uh, that's how they collected it. So it's one of those things where it's not even a physical image. It's, It's very distorted from how I think the everyday person thinks about it to what they actually did there's a it's a yeah. drastic difference yeah and 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 that's why they have phds and and most people don't <laughs> and they're yeah, exactly <laughs> i mean i mean it's it's just like that but but i mean they they also compared it and one thing i read that was kind of cool about it they compared it to basically trying to photograph from earth uh an orange on the moon like having the resolution <laughs> power to photograph an orange on the moon uh, is kind of the equivalent of what they were trying to do here. Yeah. Uh, so it's not easy. It's not just, you know, like we don't... Honestly, I feel like I would be more impressed by a picture of an orange on the moon because I would understand that so much better. And I would realize, <laughs> wow, that was an incredible telescope that got that picture. <laughs> but that's, and that's, and that's why they say things like that is because they... I always appreciate when scientists bring it back to like a little bit of reality for, for most people, you know, and even for me, I'm not like some crazy scientist or something. I just have an undergraduate degree. So <laughs> no. Okay. The one thing actually, okay. I want to get one thing clear and I want to just make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. But the reason that a black hole is black is because it's so heavy that light cannot escape its pole, right? Like there yes. is no light. Although that reflect. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I would be careful for at least my reading and like watching videos from different uh, astrophysicists. It's not necessarily even a pole. Like Ben was saying, how massive objects start to bend space-time. It's more mm. of light can't – it's not moving fast enough and it's falling in to the black hole more than anything. Okay. It's not so much being pulled, but it's it's falling in. I don't. It, it's weird. It's a weird concept to – kind of wrap your head around but well, um because when is it because like when like there, when there, there could be stuff light in there we'll never know yeah. yeah we just don't like the light is not fast enough to escape right because when because like when something is orbiting the earth it's essentially falling towards the earth but it's falling like fast enough that the earth is rotating away from it while it's falling, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very good understanding of orbits. Oh, wow. Thank <laughs> you. Impressive. So, it's like grade 11 physics. Oh, thanks, dude. I did not take grade 11 physics. So, <laughs> projectiles, baby. That's uh, my knowledge of astrophysics is all from Kerbal Space Program. We don't have time to explain what Kerbal Space Program <laughs> is, but if, if you know, you know. Um, so, is it so then for a black hole, like the light just falls back into the black hole and doesn't move fast enough well, to get out. It's it's mainly the from my understanding it would be from the direction that the light is uh traveling towards the black hole and 
if it's depending at the angle that it's traveling, if it's like directly going towards the black hole, it's going to cross the event horizon. So then it's definitely going to fall in. But um, like anything else that has um, that has gravity, you if you're far enough away, um, you like anything could even orbit a black hole. Essentially, it's just not to cross that event horizon because that's when it that's when everything begins to fall in. So it's so even how like they began to like these scientists they were um, they were measuring the radio waves and the gamma rays and x-rays. It was the light that would end up not going directly at the black hole, but it was far enough away that it would kind of get pulled and like wrapped around and kind of tossed off. Um, it's kind of like the slingshot effect. If you, uh, ever, if you know how any of the space probes were kind of sent to go like past Mars yeah. at a quick velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, thanks Jupiter. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of like that. Um, and that's why you see like the accretion disc for in that image, it kind of looked like a donut. So you had the black hole and then you had all the, all the light around it. Just because that light is, it's very close where a lot of that will probably cross the event horizon, but a lot of it is just going around the black hole for now. That's crazy. Especially. Space is crazy. Especially when you're looking at that image, um, instead of like, because it's going around the, the black hole, but you would be, it's more like looking at if you were to hold a piece of paper and like just kind of see the edge of it it's based off of how the light is then um i I guess how the black hole um disrupts um space and time it kind of it warps how we perceive it so it's actually more of a plane instead of being around the black hole like we saw in the image if that makes sense that was probably a horrible description i think that makes sense yeah I'm, I'm going to mention a couple videos. So there's this channel. I'm sure many people are familiar with Kyrgyzstat or mm, in a yeah. nutshell. Yeah. They do a few really good videos on black holes. So I'd recommend people check those out if they're interested in this sort of a thing. I think they do two on black holes specifically. And then they do one that's kind of a silly one, but also a really fun thought experiment. What happens if you had a nickel in your pocket and it turned into a black hole? <laughs> so what, what would actually happen? That's not silly, man. That so, happens. People so die pretty, every year. Pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's, it's true that it is, it is orbital. Like if there was a black hole, and, and this, they describe this in one of their videos too, is if, if the sun was replaced with a black hole that was the same mass... Okay. Now, one thing you always have to consider is mass versus diameter when we're talking about a black hole is, is a really big difference because something with the mass of our sun as a black hole is going to have a very, very small diameter. Yeah. Um, just because, because of, of the density, yeah. right? Yeah. So if that happened, our orbital would not really be changed at all. Like there would be nothing that we would notice. Um, like astronomically, other than we would freeze, right? Like we would just, you know, we'd die because we have no heat anymore. But that would, like outside of that effect, like the orbital would stay the same. So so it is it is a, a gravity well in a sense, you know, how things, you know, like you said, Dryden, like they, the bowling ball bends. 
space-time, but if you think about a black hole, it's not going to just bend it. It's actually like an, a well yeah. where and it's infinitely deep. Like it doesn't end. And so that's, and that's why there's so much mystery about it and so much like, Ooh, what's on the other well, side? Ooh, what happens if like we can maybe go through portals because it bends space time so much, maybe we can travel to oh, another side of the galaxy. I'm so glad that you brought this up because this leads me like, we don't have too much time left, but this leads me perfectly into the last thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, of course, a lot of my previous knowledge about black holes has come from the movie Interstellar, which I treat as essentially a scholarly source when it comes to all things but time. <laughs> ben gets mad at me when I say that. <laughs> One thing that Ben and I have argued about ever since we met is whether or not time travel is theoretically possible. So we talked about how the black hole is essentially has essentially such a great mass that it bends space-time around it. Now, in the movie Interstellar... Um, I haven't seen it for a very long time, so I might be remembering this incorrectly. But the closer that they get to the black hole, the more it starts to affect their perception of time, right? Because Mm -hmm. the gravitational time dilation starts to kick in and, you know, 20 minutes for them close to the black hole is 20 years for someone back on Earth, right? So, Ben, this might be not something that you're totally comfortable answering, but, like, is what we see in that movie... Is that like, is that accurate to what you think would happen in real life? Okay, well, we could, we could, if you really wanted, we could do, and I'm sure other podcasts have done it, but a scientific analysis of Interstellar. So Interstellar. Well, but we're not qualified Inter- for that. Interstellar is a great movie, but we all have to keep in mind that it is science fiction and is not reality. No, it, no, def- it's a hundred percent. But just like any good science fiction, it uses elements of reality that makes it kind of believable. So. What happens when they are close to the black hole when they're on that particular planet where that happens? Um, that is theoretically possible. Um, again, we don't really know the practical nature of a lot of this stuff because we've never tried it. We've never been close enough. We've never had anything like, I mean, let's be real. Our furthest space probe ever is Voyager 1, and it's not even one light day away from our planet like it's it's space is huge so anyway um so time dilation is a thing einstein uh and relativity would say so and i remember taking you know second year i think it was physics and we learned about that in a little bit more detail we learned about how you know, there's things like time dilation, uh, length contraction, um, energy consumption, uh, mass changes as well uh, around all of these kinds of things, like in the extremes of the universe. So time can be affected. Time can be bent, if you will, but you cannot reverse it. There is no physical, and, and Einstein and relativity prove that you cannot reverse time. You cannot exceed the speed of light. There are some people that would challenge that and say that, you know, your, your mind is closed or whatever. But until we see mathematical proof... Well, and Napoleon Dynamite would say that you just forgot to put in the crystals, right? <laughs> Sorry, I just watched that movie a couple of days ago, so it's on my mind. So, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, time dilation is a thing. You know, you can look it up and there's some pretty good thought experiments on it that describe it well but 
as far as being able to witness the effects of it, that's pretty, pretty rare. And we're not actually going to like be able to go backwards in time or forwards in time. We can slow or speed up time, but that's it. Speaking of time, we're out of it. But before we sign off, I just want to close off on a few things on this subject. Yeah. So, um, big thing with, uh, what um, these scientists did. They did add more substantial evidence to Einstein's uh, theory of general relativity, which is important. And then there's a whole bunch of areas that they can go off of. If you are interested in space and black holes and just astrophysics, anything along those lines, um, time dilation, anything like that, I would also suggest checking out uh, PBS Space Time. Um, it's hosted by a uh, astrophysicist, Matt O'Dowd, um, PhD, Fantastic guy. He explains everything relatively in a simple manner that most people can get. Um, and they go over some, he goes over some equations and the physics behind stuff. But uh, it's fantastic. So if you want to, if you want to know more, if you want to learn more about space, I suggest checking out PBS Space Time. They're fantastic. Um, yeah. Crash, right. crash Course Physics. Crash Course Physics. Crash Course Astronomy. Good YouTube channels for that stuff too. And we already mentioned, uh, is it Kyrgyzstan? Yeah. Is that who you say it? Yeah. 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 So there are lots of good resources out there. And uh, I'm sure we could spend many more hours picking Ben's brain about uh, everything from black holes and time travel to the, hist- to the history of mosh pits and Christian metalcore. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, in the interest of keeping things uh, within our time limit, I think we'll have to sign off at this point. But I would like to thank everyone for listening, uh, especially if you made it through the whole episode. That's incredible. I'm very thankful. Shout out to the one guy in Ireland if he's listening <laughs> to this. Um, you're the real MVP, dude. F- or you're, she. What? Or she. Or, or she. she. Yeah. I just feel like <laughs> our podcast is probably not at all popular amongst the female gender persuasion. Not any. Not that women aren't also interested in heavy music and science because they are. But I just feel like us as people, I feel like I feel like we're not that appealing to a female <laughs> fan base. That it's putting it's putting ourselves down. Not not uh But I will yeah. say support and celebrate women in STEM. It's fantastic. It's one of the greatest things so, to see. Women in STEM. Women Shout in out STEM. to all the women in STEM. <laughs>